Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, April 29th, 2016. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'll be your host uh, for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have our full complement of hosts today, Doug, Tiffany, Erica, Gabby, and Elliot. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so we have... Uh, a little bit of technical difficulties going on, so if you can bear with us in case anything happens to go down, but I think we're good for right now. Um, so today we're going to be talking about stress and the compromised adrenal system. So uh, are you stressed? Are you suffering from extreme tiredness? Do you need stimulants to get going in the morning? Are you so dead tired at the end of the day that sleep seems like a dream that will never come true? Many suffer silently from a seemingly nebulous thing called adrenal fatigue. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that today, uh, the good and bad aspects of stress and its effects on the adrenal system. Um, the adrenals may be small and misunderstood, but in essence, there is no quality of life if they are not functioning properly. So this is actually a really important topic, and it's uh, there's a lot of material on it. Um, but as we were talking about before the show, interestingly, uh, it's it's not a common medical diagnosis, and I wonder just to get us going, uh, Gabby, if you you had mentioned that when we were on before the show here, and if you could just talk about that for a minute that that adrenal fatigue is actually not a medical diagnosis, uh, and why why do you think that is? Yes, it's um, mainstream medicine doesn't recognize adrenal fatigue. Um, they do recognize like um, severe adrenal fatigue, but in the form of Addison's disease, which is very specific. You need pharmaceuticals to deal with that, you know. But adrenal fatigue, as we understand it more in integral medicine or alternative medicine, it's not recognized as such. It's like it is considered like an internet disease, and uh, even though arguably. It can be really like the like the book um, Adrenal Fatigue Syndrome, the 21st Century Syndrome. You know, it's literally like you know, a lot of people could identify with the symptoms of adrenal fatigue, like the majority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's a strange thing, um, and of course, you know, in our our modern society, we have a lot of stress going on. We have much much more stress now. Uh, it's not like stress never existed before, but I think that it's compounded now. Um, so uh, I, I guess let's uh, let's start off by talking a little bit about stress and how it affects us. Um, so we have an article here on SOT, uh, How Stress Affects Your Mind and Body. And uh, according to the American Academy of Family Physicians, stress leads to some of the most debilitating diseases of our time, including higher rates of heart disease, cancer, accidental injury, and even suicide. Um, It produces more cortisol, uh, norepinephrine, and adrenaline, three hormones that deplete your vitamin B stores and suppress your immune system. Stress raises your heart rate, uh, it interferes with your sleep cycles, and finally, long-term stress can cause adrenal fatigue. So while this is not necessarily the main cause of uh, fatigue. I think it is one of the prominent ones. Um, I know that I've had experience with that before, you know, just being stressed out, stressed out over long periods of time and, and then ending up being just physically and mentally exhausted. Um, 
I don't know. Have you guys had any experience with that? With you know, do you think that you've had adrenal fatigue, and if so, like kind of where do you think that it came from? Well, after doing the research for this show, I'm pretty sure I do have adrenal fatigue. (laughs) 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 It looks like it can encompass nearly everything. Yeah. Well, I found one page where a guy was listed off 75 different symptoms of uh, adrenal fatigue. And I identified with at least like, you know, half a dozen, if not more. So I was kind of like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe... It's something that I don't necessarily consider because everybody experiences stress. So it's kind of like, well, you know, it just it's it's the norm. So it it kind of I never really thought about it that deeply. But I, you know, thinking more about it, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, I I maybe am a little bit more stressed than I need to be. Mm. But a, a lot of people normalize, you know, having stress. Like it is not normal to be stressed all the time for years on end, and uh, mm. and. And spread through that, you know, you have uh, acute phases of stress like, say, surgery or divorce or you lost your job or that just is like the last drop in the world, you know, <laughs> the last drop yeah. actually. Well, and also stress yeah. acts on different levels, right? So you have the physiological level, the psychological level, and then the social level. And those multiple interactions mm. can influence the actual state of your body and mind in in specific circumstances, right? Yeah, I've had stress on all three of those levels. I don't know if it was what you would call adrenal fatigue or not, but I was at a point in my life, my diet was pretty crappy. I was doing really heavy exercise in the morning, including a lot of cardio, extensive cardio. Uh, The relationship I was in was not that great. And I would get up, go to work, you know, have my oatmeal or yogurt or whatever. For breakfast and then yeah. by the afternoon i was just wiped out i would come home watch a little tv fall asleep on the couch at six o'clock <laughs> wake up at nine o'clock yeah try to go to bed wake up at two o'clock in the morning couldn't get to sleep i had thought loops going through my head all night long couldn't sleep well by the time it was you know time to wake up again and start it all over i was just tired and exhausted and then by mm. the time i was like what 35 or so i'm like waking up and just feeling all achy and crampy like an old woman i was like oh my god so i just stopped going to the gym <laughs> and then i changed my diet and things got better <laughs> you ate more fat yeah what, what you just described is like normal life for most people mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many people are fueling their entire day on coffee or soda or some kind of like caffeine? You know, it, it's the it's the only way people can get by. Yeah. I'm the only one that I know that doesn't drink coffee. You know, at least we. I'm off it. <laughs> Here it's- I'm off the coffee. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, no, <laughs> I drink Sometimes. it. <laughs> I've drank it like a couple times a month, but I've never been a, a coffee drinker and I haven't had any for a while. It gives me the jitters. Mm. Well, it's interesting in doing the research for the stress um, topic. Dr. Hans Seil first popularized the, popularized the term stress in the 1950s. Hans Selye. Hans Selye, thank you. <laughs> And uh, he based his research on extensive physiological studies of what happens when animals are injured or placed under unusual or extreme conditions. 
So he says stress is an umbrella term used for all the various pressures we experience in life. So just like what you explained, Tiffany. And in scientific terms, it stresses the stimulants or the response. And he gives two good examples. So I feel stressed is the response. And then I've got a lot of stress in my life is the stimulus. So he opted to define stress as a response. And he coined the word stressor to describe the stimulus or event that produced the stress response. So he also defines stress as a nonspecific response of an organism to any pressure or demand. So yeah, like Mm. Gabby was saying, I think we all feel that. It just depends on the person and what their life circumstances are. Yeah, we all respond to stress in different ways. Like what might stress me out might not stress you out. So it just Mm -hmm. depends on the person. Well, and I think it can compound too, right? If you are suffering from adrenal fatigue, then at a certain point, those things that might be very small stressors actually become very large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the symptoms of uh, being adrenally fatigued is that you suddenly have kind of a hair trigger. Or you don't suddenly. It, it often comes up slowly. But you have this hair trigger where you kind of have this constant state of anxiety in the background, and any little thing can really set you off. And that, that's a good sign that, uh, that your adrenals aren't functioning properly. Another clear sign is that um, you wake up very tired, fatigued, even though you slept through the night. And uh, the need to, to skip breakfast and classically only drink coffee just to squeeze the juice out of your adrenals, the last drop of your adrenals. <laughs> <laughs> that is what classical as well. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know that one. (laughs) Then uh, lots of infections, like, you know, several infections, uh, colds or lung infections or even throat infections in the ear. That's also like a hallmark. And lots of Mm -hmm. allergies, like food intolerances. This is a classical that people will find out about their food intolerances. And then they realize they're almost eating only like only meat because they cannot tolerate anything else. That's just a sign of adrenal fatigue. It's like better to address adrenal fatigue so you can eat more food, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, good, a good way to tell whether, you're, um, whether your adrenals are sort of um, slacking behind is to go by your cortisol rhythms. So ideally, uh, uh, you know, a well-functioning cortisol rhythm would be highest in the morning and then gradually lowers throughout the day until the sun sets, and that's when your melatonin production occurs, and therefore your cortisol is meant to be lowest in the evening. But what many Mm -hmm. people experience, and I myself have experienced this many times, is um, one, waking up, uh, feeling extremely tired and wanting to stay in bed all day. Now, that's that's a, a classic sign of low cortisol in the morning, but then what the problem is, is that when it gets dark, say it gets 9, nine 10 o'clock in the evening, I feel absolutely buzzing, like I'm wired. Like you go to bed, mm-hmm. you've got heart palpitations, your heart's beating, you've got constant running thoughts, um, and you can't get to sleep at night. And this is like a constant cycle. And this, what this mm-hmm. demonstrates is that you've got severely damaged cortisol rhythms, and this is a classic sign of, um, of adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the other symptoms that are mentioned, there's an article up on SOT called 18 Overlooked Symptoms of Adrenal Fatigue. And I'll just That's go through some of them here one. because some of them are, 
Yeah, there's yes. ones that you wouldn't necessarily think. Um, like asthma, bronchitis, chronic cough. Um, apparently the lungs, um, in order to re- respond to stressors, so like, you know, foreign, foreign material coming into the lungs, like, uh, allergens and things like that, it needs cortisol. So if you didn't have enough cortisol, then, uh, you start having chronic lung problems, like asthma, bronchitis, or cough, or something like that. Uh, recurrent infections, muscle weakness, and back pain, uh, sleep disturbances, like we just talked about, um, dizziness. People who get very dizzy when they stand up, a lot of mm-hmm. times that can be um, because of uh, adrenal dysfunction. Um, inflammation, cortisol is a natural um, anti-inflammatory, so if you don't have enough, you might be inflamed in places. There was one article, I don't know if it was this one. Yeah, no, it was this one where they said that people who respond well to having injections of corticosteroids into like <laughs> joints or some other places are probably people who are low in cortisol because they aren't producing enough to kind of take care of that themselves. That's pretty much everybody that I see. (laughs) In the emergency room, it's like the emergency room first drug is cortisone. (laughs) No kidding. I came across a bunch of other symptoms too, like uh, blood sugar imbalances, being hungry all the time and Mm -hmm. eating to snack. Uh, feeling lightheaded and jittery without food, digestive problems, poor immune system functioning, hormonal problems like PMS, lack of sex drive, um, of course, mental and physical fatigue, sleep problems, depression, uh, anxiety, hypersensitivity to noise, dry eyes, dry skin and hair, loss of head hair, armpit mm-hmm. hair, and pubic hair. But when mm-hmm. you consider, like, what the adrenals are, they're like these two glands that sit on top of your kidneys. And their job is, when they're functioning, you know, optimally, is to produce uh, glucocorticoids like cortisol and mineral corticoids like aldosterone, epinephrine, norepinephrine, DHEA, your sex hormones. The adrenals also regulate your blood pressure. So when you take that in mind and you go through all the symptoms, it's... No wonder, like, if your adrenals aren't functioning optimally, like, how it can affect so much of your life and cause so many symptoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can take all the symptoms, you know, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple more symptoms here. There's salt cravings, headaches, behavior and memory problems. Memory problems, you know, people like talk about things like having seniors moments and things like that, but it's actually, you know, it's not really something to joke about. It's actually probably that your adrenals are totally shot. Um, excessive thirst and urination. Hemorrhoids. That was yes. something that was a surprise to me. Apparently hemorrhoids and varicose veins um, are because it, it has to do with the whole blood pressure thing and the, the whole dizziness when standing up, that the blood mm-hmm. um, pools in the pelvis and doesn't mm-hmm. kind of get up to uh, the the upper extremities, so that that was an interesting one that that uh, that I saw. Hmm. Um, the one that really yes, go ahead, Gabby. No, the one the one that are, was really new to me is that are there are certain muscles that are associated with adrenal fatigue, like in the legs, the sartorius muscle, the gastrocnemius, mm. these are all muscles in the legs that, you know, they create tension so you cannot really stand up on your feet, so to speak. It feels like, mm. you know, you're, you're so heavy that you cannot stand up on your feet. 
and that's adrenal fatigue too. I've had that feeling before when my legs felt really heavy and it was just like a chore just to walk across the room. (laughs) Yes. Or when you get sore from just standing Mm -hmm. for any period of time, your legs are really sore, even though you haven't really been doing anything except standing there. That's a good sign. Yes, and this instability of that muscles can create uh, knee pain, you know, um, instability of the joints, you know, um, lower back pains. So when people are stressed mm-hmm. and they get this lower back, you know, you should, you, all, you should also think about adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, people look at back pain as usually a physical issue. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it is, but um, a, lo- a lot of, uh, I think a lot of times it's actually a symptom of having totally shot adrenal glands. And uh, yeah, but I mean, people don't generally think about that when they're experiencing back pain. They think, oh, I must have lifted something, you know, or something along those lines. It could be from too yes. much coffee, too, because it puts the stress on your kidneys, well, it's related. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And also yeah. drinking coffee, like a classical, no, the population's favorite addiction. It just creates a vicious cycle because it stimulates your adrenals, but then they crash. You know, it's like like having low blood sugar, you know, and eating candy, you know, just to spike your sugar mm-hmm. levels up. And then it releases a lot of insulin and then it crashes again. It's just very bad for the adrenals. Yeah. Very bad. That's people's general diet, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, people don't really think about that much, and a lot of people will tell you that they're not under a lot of stress or whatever, so they, that they, they don't really suffer from this kind of thing. But people don't realize that their diet itself can cause a lot of stress on the adrenals because if you are reliant on sugar, then you are spiking your blood sugar, then it crashes, and once it crashes, the body goes into emergency mode, releases cortisol to raise that blood sugar again. One of the functions of cortisol is to raise blood sugar, and that will actually like eat away at your muscle tissue to be able to get that uh, fuel um, just in order to get, get your, uh, your blood sugar up again. So just by having a crappy diet, you can completely blow your whole adrenal system. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was interesting yeah, yeah. that in the research that the naturopath James Wilson, he coined the term adrenal fatigue in 1998 and uh, calling it the 21st century stress syndrome. And uh, according to Wilson, people with adrenal fatigue often look and act re- relatively normal uh, with no obvious outward su- signs of physical illness, yet they are unwell and live with a general sense of gray feelings and ill health. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like and usually those people don't level. get any kind of pep. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get any of that kind of pep except from doing things like drinking coffee or taking some kind of stimulant or sugar or something like that. Otherwise, life is completely gray until they get their coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nora Gedgowder <laughs> had some interesting things to say about adrenal fatigue. Yeah. She wrote a book called Rethinking Fatigue. And she says that yeah. a lot of times it's not that the adrenals are the problem. It's a miscommunication between the brain and the adrenals. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, the adrenals are just basically taking orders from the brain. So you have to address what's going on in your brain in order to fix what's going on in your adrenals. Because the adrenals are primarily concerned with survival and, you know, fight or flight mode. 
and the hormones that the adrenals produce, you know, help you to flee danger. So when you're constantly in this state of fight or flight, that can burn out your adrenals. So you have to go to the brain, like uh, the hypothalamus, which stimulates the adrenals to produce or not produce cortisol. So if you're inflamed and you have a lot of inflammatory cytokines, that can influence your hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus will send the wrong signals to, not necessarily the wrong signals, but the signals to the adrenals to produce cortisol. So you have to, you know, start with the brain, what's going on in your brain. You have to support the, the adrenals through your brain, not just take some glandular substance to directly act on the adrenals because that might not be where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? That reminds me of a very important concept because when people in the alternative community review adrenal fatigue and uh, recommend supplements, They just uh, sometimes forget that the most important thing is that there is a root cause. You know, there is something contributing to that adrenal fatigue. Several factors and one factor may be waiting more in the whole syndrome. And uh, that is very important to address. For example, some people, uh, so according to some literature, they say that antibiotics are really bad for, for your health and it compounds adrenal fatigue. But in my case, because my one of my root causes was stealth infection, I actually felt much better after doing antibiotic cycles. You know, after each cycle, mm. I had more energy. I could sleep better. You know, I was actually like recovering on these antibiotics. So it puts into perspective how important it is to make some detective work and find out what is really bugging you, you know, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think people can be pretty polarized in that manner. You know, if somebody is a, is a holistic practitioner, then they think that everything that's coming from mainstream medicine is evil. Yeah. So I, I think you really have to have a, a bit of a more balanced approach to things, especially when you're talking about stealth infections. I mean, those that's a pretty new area of research, and and finding stuff that actually works can be quite. Uh, quite difficult but uh norga gaudis in uh in the interview that we watched for this um actually said that stealth infections can be responsible for causing that miscommunication between the hypothalamus and the adrenals so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it, it might be it might be absolutely necessary to actually get to the root cause of the problem and even according to our own research that's thought you know it's, you are if you have stealth infections you know when you have mood problems it's not necessarily that you have like You have to focus on a neurotransmitter imbalance or, you know, or lack of. It's sometimes it's a clear indication of a stealth infection, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Nora Gagaldis, is, um, her take on a- adrenal dysfunction is, is really interesting. I mean, like, she says, she says that we should stop seeing it as, as adrenal dysfunction and start seeing it as adrenal dysregulation. And that, like, mm. we shouldn't just we shouldn't just assume that our adrenals don't know what they're doing. Like, they're not stupid, and often they do work. <laughs> <laughs> it's our brain that doesn't work. You know, it's the pathway from our brain that controls the adrenals. So, quite often, when we supplement with adrenal support, um, this 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 only sort of masks the issue, and it doesn't get to the sort of you know the root cause of it. Like like mm-hmm. we were just saying. Um, and it's interesting because she speaks about how um, there's an area of the brain called the hippocampus, and this is usually what um, what controls daily cortisol circadian rhythm. 
uh, it's basically what, what controls the adrenals to release cortisol and release stress hormones in response to environmental stresses. And funny enough, um, the hippocampus is, is, is the first part of the brain to suffer from um, a chronically stressful environment. And when this, um, when this part of the brain begins to degenerate, um, that's when you see things like memory problems, like what, what we commonly know, know as um, sort of symptoms of aging, like when you don't remember um, where you've left your keys or, you know, um, you can't remember someone's name who you live with. You know, like these, these common things that you... I mean, I see them in my parents now, you know. These guys are like... 50, I see that in my parents. And we see this as normal in our society. But what she basically says is, you know, this this isn't normal. Or this isn't normal in terms of sort of uh, human human biology, you know. It's very common at the minute because we all suffer from from these issues. But actually, this isn't actually the way that the brain is meant to sort of degenerate. And she says that once the hippocampus begins to degenerate, that's when you see adrenal dysregulation. So if you've got adrenal dysregulation, the chances are that you've done uh, not necessarily irreparable damage, but you have done some damage to your hippocampus. Um, and, you know, mm. this, this can possibly be, uh, you know, as we said, it could be stealth infection. It can be chronic inflammation. It can be free radicals, um, iron deficiency, nutritional deficiencies, um, malabsorption in the gut. Uh, if you've got autoimmune disorders, um, a high sugar diet, as we already know, and obviously constant stimulants and excessive exercise. Um, mm-hmm. But, but all, all of these factors play into, um, you know, sort of dysregulating the, the signal from the brain to the adrenals. Yeah, she said that the uh, the hippocampus has the richest deposit of cortisol receptors in the brain. Um, so if you think of cortisol and you know uh, adrenaline, also they are catabolic hormones. They break things down. They don't build things up. If there's too much of them, they'll break things down. So yeah, like you said, Elliot, like with Alzheimer's and dementia, the hippocampus is the first thing to go. So. If you're having senior moments and you have that tip of the tongue <laughs> syndrome, you should be thinking about what's going on in your brain, not just what's going on in your adrenals. Yeah, something else that uh, Nora said um, that I thought was really interesting is that uh, the, um, or actually maybe it was in one of the other articles, but uh, it, it said that um, that cortisol actually signals the body to go into storage mode. To try and you know to to um, uh, to go d- down into kind of more of a maintenance mode than than kind of a build up mode because it is kind of a breakdown hormone. So, but one thing that it, it tends to do is cause people to gain weight around the middle, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the the body is is storing fat for like future famine situations or future situations where it's going to need very quick energy that it can access. So whenever people who have that spare tire or like their guts kind of hanging over their belt type thing, that and and (laughs) exactly, and it's very stubborn and it won't go away no matter what kind of dietary changes the person makes or um, exercise. That's often a sign that uh, the the adrenals are are overshooting. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of goes back to that thing of of stress not necessarily being a bad thing; that it's a survival mechanism. 
Yeah, exactly. But if that tiger yeah, never I mean, shows the up, designed. you're just waiting for it well, yeah. at your desk all day, and it never comes. <laughs> yeah, constantly, every day, like 24 hours a day, people are living in these stressed-out environments all the time. And the body is just not designed to function that way. We're designed to kind of encounter a stressor, deal with it by either fighting or running away or whatever, and then going back to your normal uh, state. But uh, these days, I mean, it's from the moment you get up, you're confronted with all this stress, and it doesn't end until you go to bed at night. And even then, we're usually ruminating over things, and the stress is still there. And it's starting even in children, you know, at a very young age, because they're watching their environment, and they're just picking up on that. And, you know, got to get up, got to go to school, got to go to dance class, got to go to soccer. And it's just there's never any Mm -hmm. moment... Yeah, not it's crazy. to have a response to their environment. The schedules of kids nowadays, it is crazy. Like they must learn a language or several different languages at the same time. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take it's this like, class, yeah. take that class. But, you know, don't just sit around and play with a block of wood or something. And be outside, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even even play is scheduled now, right? Everybody, yeah. They've all got these play dates. I've got a play date. Well, yeah, there was an article on SOT how prisoners spend more time outside now than children do. That was pretty (laughs) Unbelievable. I wonder, too, with the the children, you know, uh, of course, um, now in our, especially in the Western world, a lot of uh, kids are getting cell phones or they have a a tablet. Uh, You know, it's not just like the TV in the living room anymore. It's like it's always there and um you know if emf pollution uh might have a lot to do with the adrenal fatigue that's that's going on and in just screwing up the systems of kids as they're developing mm-hmm. and yeah, even things absolutely. like a very popular right now like adhd you know that is also like compounded by adrenal fatigue you know if you cannot have memory mm-hmm. concentration yeah yeah no, the, the technology is an interesting thing because there's kind of, I, I, as I see it, there's two things going on there. There's the EMF exposure, and it's been shown that, that being exposed to EMF um, actually does raise cortisol levels. It is considered a stress. The body takes it as a, as a, as a stressor and, and will respond to it. Um, but then there's also the blue light issue. And by staring at a screen constantly, especially before you go to bed, um, you're screwing up your, your day-night schedule your natural circadian rhythm is thrown off and uh and that will also cause problems with the adrenals exactly yeah i mean yeah. i i can speak to that for sure you know i, I work with uh computers and um <laughs> i i try to regulate my schedule but it doesn't work all the time and sometimes if i have to work late i'll just be completely exhausted and i'm like i didn't really do anything you know physical mm-hmm. i've just been sitting here all day um but I'm sure you know that the blue light from the screen is is uh, having that detrimental long term effect. Yeah. Well, I remember there was a time when I was doing some uh, some sound editing work for uh, for a friend, and I was basically staying up. You know, I wasn't staying up super late or anything like that, but I was you know on the computer right up until bedtime. And I would lay down to go to sleep, and I was just wired. There was no way I was getting to sleep, and I would toss and turn for hours before actually falling asleep. And I didn't know what was going on at the time, but in retrospect, I could tell I was sitting there staring at a screen for for hours. 
Well, it's an interesting conundrum there, you know, like feeling feeling exhausted and still not being able to sleep. Um, you know, you got to know something is going wrong internally when that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard people say, I'm so tired, I can't go to sleep. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they mean they're yeah. so stressed out, they can't go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Has anybody ever had the saliva test? You can do the adrenal stress index and have your saliva tested because uh, it shows the rhythm of your cortisol throughout the day versus mm-hmm. having a blood test where it only shows like how much cholesterol, I mean, cortisol is bound in your, <laughs> in your system. Does anybody ever had that test? No. I haven't, no. but I have seen several uh, in patients, you know, of those tests, and it correlates pretty well, you know, with how they feel. I think it's pretty, a pretty good guide, you know, to to know about your cortisol levels. Okay. I yes. Some people can test normal with their blood cortisol test, and be very low with their salivary cortisol test. Yes, mm. definitely more accurate there's another there's another test you can do and i don't know how how accurate this one is but it's called uh it's like the the pupil test and apparently what you do is you go um into a dark room and stay in the dark room for two minutes and you want to be in front of a mirror with a flashlight and then you shine the flashlight across your eyes so not directly into your eyes but across your eyes and you look in the mirror and watch how your pupils adjust so what will happen is as soon as the light hits your eyes, your pupils will dilate. Or no, not dilate. The opposite of dilate. Um, they'll, they'll shrink up. Contract. <laughs> contract. Thank you. They will contract. Um, and then the amount of time that it takes for them to kind of relax and adjust again uh, will tell whether um, or not you are uh, having adrenal issues. So apparently somebody who has adrenal issues or well first of all somebody who doesn't have adrenal issues it'll take a full minute for your pupils to adjust to the amount of light that they're getting whereas people who have adrenal issues it will happen much much faster and they'll be very twitchy and kind of just very very quickly um kind of adjust and the idea being that these these are people who are kind of on edge their entire physiology is on edge and reacting like like is hyper reactive so um that apparently is a good test i've never actually tried it myself um, and I don't know if it correlates well to like the saliva test, but you know, if people are interested and they don't uh, have a means of doing any kind of testing, that's something you could try at home. I think we should pause while Doug goes into a dark room and <laughs> does this test and come back and report. And report to report live. <laughs> well, in that case, I have seen many patients. I do that specifically, and yeah. <laughs> It correlates with the 21st century syndrome, adrenal fatigue. <laughs> oh, it does. So you've seen it then? Well, that's part of a physical examination, you know. When the doctor shines the light in your eyes. Yeah. I've only seen yeah. it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, those who respond slower is usually because they're taking so many drugs that Christ tries to slow oh. them down. <laughs> uh. No kidding. Well, I wonder if that correlates with, I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but when you're having a real stressful situation, whatever it is, and your eyes start to twitch, Mm. does that ever happen to anyone where you get almost like a, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a vibrating in the eyes or like it feels like a muscle twitch in your Mm -hmm. eyes? 
Mm-hmm. Has anybody experienced that? I had always thought that? that that was a mineral. Uh, I've totally experienced it, yeah. And I had always thought it had to do with mineral imbalance. But that, that could be adrenal in and of itself. Yeah. I had that a lot in the past when I used to drink a lot of uh, diet soda. Mm. And uh, mm. I just figured that that was, um, you know, looking back, uh, kind of doing some recapitulation, I thought that that might have been uh, aspartame poisoning. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds like it reminds me of that. Yeah, um, Lynn mentioned on the the forum or the the chat here that yes, it's in the eyelid and not the eye, so it's almost like a sensation in your eyelids, but not your eyes. Oh yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah, yes. I always got it in my my lower eyelid. I would always get it kind of in the right where between the eye and the nose. That's where I would always get it. Well, um, I wonder. If, let's talk a little bit about the adrenal thyroid connection, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, we have this article on Sod here, uh, healing your thyroid by getting out of adrenal survival mode. And so we've talked about the flight or flight, flight or fight function. Um, and uh, just one quote here. It says, when you are under prolonged chronic stress, your adrenal system tells your body to conserve rather than spend too much energy. Your thyroid slows down as well. Uh, it's like a warning system that protects you from overdrafting on your energy bank account. Yeah. So, uh, you, you can oh, see ahead, that. You can see that on people with thyroid problems that even take medication and it doesn't work, the medication. It's usually like it's very hard to heal the thyroid gland if you don't address your adrenal first, mm-hmm. your adrenals mm-hmm. first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that like article, a- it says that it actually, um, the, it, the, the adrenals actually like slow down the conversion of T4 to T3. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's another connection right there. Mm-hmm. It also makes me think about iodine, which helps the thyroid, but also the adrenals and also the brain, you know. I cannot think mm. of a more holistic supplement to try, you know, when you have all these issues, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I would say that's definitely one of the main ones, you know, I mean, aside from obviously making sure that your diet is in order, that you're dealing with stress properly and all those kind of things. But, uh, of course, we learned when we did the show about iodine that it's... Uh, it affects pretty much every system in the body. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole adrenal thyroid uh, connection is interesting. Like I, when I was, I, I talked about that that site I found that had seventy five different um, uh, symptoms of adrenal um, issues, and uh, it's funny because a lot of them are actually ones that you think of more as thyroid issues. Like having mm-hmm. the cold hands and feet, uh, weight gain and very difficult uh, to lose weight, hair loss, all those sorts of things that we, we always talk about in terms of, uh, of, of thyroid issues are actually kind of signs that the adrenals are, are having problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when, when you consider the effect um, that stress actually has on the thyroid gland and thyroid hormones... Um, it it, it, w- it would make sense that perhaps what we see or what we often um, assume is a thyroid problem may actually be um, partly uh, due to the adrenals. You know, yeah. Like um, this this article, the the heal your thyroid by um, getting out of adrenal survival mode. Um, it talks about inflammatory cytokines released um, during a stress response. Um, these include interleukin-1 beta, 
interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha. Now, what these basically do is they down-regulate the production of key thyroid-related hormones, thyroid-stimulating hormone, T3 and T4. They make the thyroid less sensitive to thyroid-stimulating hormone. And, um, and as you said, Doug, they decrease the conversion of T4 to T3. Secondly, um, chronic inflammation also um, makes the thyroid hormone receptors um, less sensitive to the active form of thyroid hormone. So what this can lead to is, um, is it's called thyroid hormone resistance. It's basically when you might be producing uh, you know, adequate amounts of thyroid hormone, but thyroid hormone isn't, doesn't manage to actually bind to the cells, so it can't act. So you become resistant to it and therefore you're not getting the action of the thyroid hormone in your body. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing a, a lot of static. It's hard to get to understand. Just the... Uh, hmm. Yeah. A lot yeah, of it static. seems like we had... Uh, let's okay. see here. I think we would all be remiss to think that if we have inflammation or inflammatory cytokines coursing throughout our body, that it's only going to affect one system, like the thyroid or the adrenals. I mean, it affects everything in your body everywhere. You might just feel it in one place, but I think you can guarantee that your whole body is being affected, not just one particular part. Right. Yeah, stress really screws us up. <laughs> yeah, I wonder with the thyroid connection too. It seems a lot more common now. I mean, it's not like I've always had my my finger on the pulse of the medical community or anything. But I I I don't remember years ago hearing a lot about the thyroid, and now um, it's interesting. I mean, I I know a few people personally who have thyroid issues, and one person who had their thyroid completely removed. Uh, and it seems to be like coming up a lot more. Um, and I wonder if that's just, you know, aside from uh, the obvious factors, environmental pollution, diet, things like that, if it's a, uh, a symptom of our, our modern disease, you know, adrenal fatigue. Mm. Well, definitely. In, the, in that case, when the surgery is the option, it will only get the adrenal fatigue much worse. It could take mm. years to recover, years, literally. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder, let's see, let's talk a little bit about how we can address this. Um, like uh, you guys have been talking about uh, Nora Gedgaudis and her view on uh, fatigue and its connection with the brain. Um, you know, and, and Gabby, you had mentioned antibiotics, you know, and how they can be beneficial. And sometimes you you don't necessarily need to look at like a neurotransmitter imbalance right away. You want to look into more of a root cause um, and kind of yeah. figure out what's going on with these self-infections. But, uh, you know, how can we begin... Uh, to heal the brain and uh, you know obviously there like like we've been talking about you know you can correct your diet um, avoid sugar uh, avoid dairy avoid gluten uh, things like that uh, you can also um, you know get more moderate exercise uh, regulate your your patterns throughout the day um, you know you can wear uh, the uh, the, the blue blocker glasses that we've talked about in the past that, that block up blue light while you're using a screen. 
Um, so there's a lot of things I think we can do here, but I'm, what I'm really curious about is like the brain function, like uh, specifically. And Gabby, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Have you had experience with that in your job, um, like trying to restore uh, brain function and what the best way to go about it that is? Well, from for now, I think the iodine research is really like uh, has been the lightsaber. Even in my blog, you know, I have a you know a post of adrenal fatigue, and um, it's like a band aid. You know, it's basically if you have severe adrenal fatigue, yes, you can try a short course of cortisone in very low doses, the doses that your body actually produces, and uh, a lot of people actually break the vicious cycle with that. But yes, we come back to the same thing, the root of the cause, you know. And um, yes, it's interesting, the brain connection, but I will not ignore, you know, how the rest is connected as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people who tried um, iodine have said that, yes, they have. They felt much better after years of trying their, to recover from their adrenal fatigue and, uh, and also addressing causes it seems to be like you know the thing that has made the most results in my experience mm-hmm. and sometimes the root causes is not only self-infection it's actually it can be something very specific that you might actually need uh, mainstream medical detective work you know mm-hmm. i think the fur the, the best way to go about it is to um <clears throat> first off like you kind of you go through like a checklist sort of so the first thing you need to do is address the stress in your life and how you're responding to that stress. I think that that's like one, one of the very first steps. Um, one of the next steps uh, would be diet um, because diet is so important. I mean, you know, you want to heal your brain, get on a ketogenic diet. And we've talked about that a lot in the past. So um, I think those are kind of the two. And of course, yeah, like, like Abby was saying, I mean, iodine, stealth infections, all those kinds of things. But you kind of want to knock off the... The, the the easy ones first, the ones that are are, are that you have more of uh, an ability to kind of uh, deal with. Um, those are the ones that you kind of want to ad- address first. That would be my um, approach, anyway. Sure. I would I would also say um, another thing to to focus on is actually um, how much daylight we are exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because our cortisol rhythms are um, they're intimately tied with our circadian rhythms, and as we all know, um, cortisol and melatonin they uh, they they fluctuate sort of in opposites. So when cortisol's high, melatonin is low. When melatonin is high, cortisol is low. And so, if you are in an environment where you are constantly exposed to blue light and you don't see the sunshine you know you don't go outside in the morning you don't get that am light then what what can essentially happen is that your body doesn't know that it's daytime and so it it, it doesn't it doesn't um produce that cortisol in the morning and then you get into a, a sticky situation where your 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 body doesn't produce melatonin at night time and so that in and of itself can also be a cause of um, of adrenal fatigue, and so I think along with the diet and the stress management, um, we also need to focus on on the environment in which we we find ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. which is completely antiphysiological. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, 
Well, speaking of melatonin, too, um, taking melatonin supplements may not be the best thing in the long run, at least according Mm to Nora Gedgaudis. She says Mm -hmm. that oral melatonin doesn't usually cross the blood-brain barrier. So if you're having a bunch of trouble sleeping and you think, okay, melatonin is natural, you know, it's not going to get me addicted or anything, that can kind of throw off your levels too if you want to enhance the endogenous melatonin, the, the melatonin that your body makes naturally on its own. You can try taking L-tryptophan, which is a precursor Mm -hmm. to serotonin, and serotonin converts to melatonin. And then, like Mm -hmm. Elliot said, make sure you get enough bright light in the morning so your body, you know, knows that it's not nighttime anymore and your hormones can turn on or off as they need to do in order Mm -hmm. to get yourself back on track. You know what is interesting? That L-tyrosine used to be so popular, not even on the alternative community. Even the average person, you know, like knew about it. And then came all the market of antidepressants and a scandal that was biased, you know, against L-tyrosine. There was a problem uh, that was related with GMO extracts. And anyway, it got like uh, put in a very bad light and it was even prohibited in some countries. And then came the antidepressants, and everybody forgot about L-tyrosine, you know. Do you mean L-tryptophan, Gabby? Oh, L-tryptophan, yeah, sorry. I was thinking about L-tyrosine yeah. because it's one of my favorite supplements. <laughs> 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 but yes, I was, I, was, uh, I was referring to L-tryptophan, yes. Yeah, it was banned in Canada for a while. Um, because of that whole incident where there was a, a, a batch that, like a bad batch basically, because they were using GMO bacteria to produce it. And, uh, yeah, it ended up by uh, actually killing some people. And, uh, it was banned all over the place, Canada included. And it wasn't until, you know, only the last couple of years that it, it actually got back on the market. Yeah. And hmm. emphasizing that it's from natural extracts, non GMO. Yeah, exactly. Uh- um, there is also something that is quite interesting that um, that our listeners could try out, um, and I did try it out for sort of two three weeks, and it really 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 helped um, with giving me that kick in the morning. Um, I've always been sort of um, the type of person who who stays up late at night and then would go to bed and wake up in the morning and, you know, just feel so tired and groggy and sort of I need that coffee to wake me up. Um, I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly how how, how this system works, but um, I know that Jack Cruz recommends um, eating within half an hour of waking up. I know that can be quite difficult for some people because you have to cook breakfast and everything like that. And um, the way that I got around that was to cook my, say, to cook my dinner, cook cook a bigger batch of dinner so there would be some leftovers that I could eat in the morning. And at first, it is really quite difficult to force yourself to eat, uh, to eat a big meal, like sort of first thing when you wake up. But, um, but when you get into the habit of it, it, you know, you start to feel hungry when you wake up, blah, 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 blah. So, so basically, yeah, you eat half an hour or within half an hour of waking up. And apparently what this does, um, if it's, if there's adequate amounts of protein, um, it stimulates, um, gastrin. And what this does is it basically, um, it, it, it triggers your circadian clock and it, and it basically says, 
look, you know, I'm awake now. Say you wake up at half six, you eat, eat by seven o'clock. Um, that, that basically activates your circadian clock. And then by the time it gets to sort of eight or nine o'clock at night, you're starting to feel tired. And what I, what I experienced from that was I would wake up, I would have seven and a half hours sleep roughly. And I would wake up every single morning just full of energy, feeling absolutely great. And it's oh, like the first time <laughs> in my life that I've ever done that. Like it's, it was, it's so weird for me. And then I great. stopped. Yeah, I stopped eating. Uh, I started eating like, say, two hours after waking up or something. I'd have a cup of coffee, have a cigarette and stuff. And now I'm back. I'm back in the same position of staying in bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling really tired. Oh, God. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is a great testimonial because it's one of the first lines of treatment for adrenal fatigue. Don't skip breakfast, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. very healing for your adrenals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can testify to that too. The last the last week or so, I've been waking up and right away eating breakfast, and yeah, I just I I do find that I'm kind of like a little bit have a little bit more pep when I first get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by and even those who have severe adrenal fatigue and they wake up, you know, they don't want to eat anything. That the, the only thought of eating something just makes me makes them you know like, Ugh. but with time, mm. you know. They end up like yes, waking up hungry already, so they immediately eat. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I can certainly testify to that. I, I remember a time in my life where the thought of eating breakfast actually made me nauseous, mm-hmm. which is really bizarre in retrospect, you know. Yeah, it should be physiological, natural. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's what happens with coffee addiction: is that people wake up first thing in the morning, they start drinking coffee, and then they don't feel. The need mm-hmm. And that continues throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It becomes that downward yeah. spiral. Yeah, because coffee actually uh, causes you to release cortisol. It's basically like Gabby was saying, a way of squeezing out that last <laughs> juice that you have in your adrenal glands. You know, so people people become a dependent on it because you know their their body isn't isn't releasing as much cortisol because they're so they're they're adrenal fatigued. Start your morning with a cup of liquid stress. <laughs> <laughs> like this squirrel in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, another interesting component of um, there was an article, the science of adrenal fatigue and how to overcome it. And um, I talked about this James Wilson earlier in the show, a naturopath who uh, coined the term. But he had an interesting little quote in his article talking about anyone who does not get enough rest and relaxation to enjoy life, who drives him or herself constantly, who is never satisfied, or is a perfectionist, who is under constant pressure, especially with few outlets or emotional release, who feels trapped or helpless, who feels overwhelmed by repeated or continuous difficulties, or who has experienced severe or chronic emotional or physical trauma or illness is probably already suffering from some sort of adrenal fatigue. So there's that emotional component there, too, that Mm -hmm. internal drive. You know, as we talked about this, it's kind of like adrenal fatigue is a symptom of modern life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everybody could relate to something mentioned in that paragraph. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, say, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Gabby, please. 
No, I will even say that, yes, that there are, there are diagnostic tests other than symptoms like the cortisol in the, the saliva test. But I think that symptoms, you know, clinical symptoms, it's a good correlation about, of your adrenal fatigue. And only if you are very, like, you have difficulties or blind spots in reading your body signs, it will be a good idea to have the cortisol saliva tests. Mm-hmm. And something interesting is that if you're on a strict ketogenic diet and you have been for a while, your cortisol might be a little bit lower in the morning than someone who just eats a sat diet because mm-hmm. cortisol uh, prompts the liver to into gluconeogenesis to produce more glucose for your bloodstream, kind of to wake you up and give you that kick to get going in the morning. But Mm -hmm. if you're keto, you might not actually need that response. So if you get this uh, cortisol test, the saliva cortisol test, and you find that your cortisol is a bit lower than you would expect, that could be a reason. Mm. That could be a good sign, actually, that you're in in ketosis. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about some ways of... uh of dealing with this and you know i think doug you made a really good point that you know looking at kind of the surface quote-unquote easy things first you know look at what's going on mm-hmm. in your life um begin to manage your stress uh and then get you know get into the more kind of heavy uh scientific uh medical things as you go um we we had in our notes here to talk about some uh herbs that are effective uh, for mm-hmm. dealing with stress you know if you need a little bit of help. I mean, you know, it's, you can say that, like, I think it's uh, short-sighted to say, like, you know, just turn it off. Like, you just shouldn't feel stressed because sometimes, you know, that's not possible for people. Um, and yeah. Need a little bit of that, so. uh, a little help can go a long way in that sense. So, yeah, it will yeah. be great to hear about favorite herbs and supplements. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, well, basically, with the herbs, you kind of have two categories of herbs that you can you can kind of use to help you. Um, one is adaptogens, and those are kind of uh, herbs that actually help with the um, the adrenal fatigue itself. Um, you know, in in most uh, you know holistic circles, they'll say that they actually help the adrenals, but I think that they actually probably, um, they, their mode of action is more about what Nora Gagoutis is talking about, um, helping with the um, hippocampus um, and the communication between the adrenals and the uh, and the brain. Um, so some of those include things like rhodiola, tulsi, ashwagandha, um, American ginseng, reishi mushroom. So those are, those are some great adaptogens that you can try. Um, other mm-hmm. herbs that you might want to try are calmatives. So those ones are, are, are ones where they're just ones for actually calming you down. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who are on this have this uh, dysregulated cortisol schedule um, would really benefit from taking these calmatives at night before they go to bed. So that includes things like uh, chamomile, lemongrass, passionflower, um, lavender, uh, skullcap, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and what? actually, Jonathan, you were talking, you, you know quite a bit about kava, right? Yeah, Um commonly known as kava kava but you know like it's it's actually just kava um and there some people may have heard a little bit about it and if you have you've probably heard that it's bad for your liver um but there's a whole kind of controversy around that the uh in the uh in the kava community i guess uh 
is referred to as the great liver scare of the 90s uh, because there was some research done and they showed that it uh, that it was damaging to the liver. However, um, one thing is that they were using uh, extracts uh, for those tests and uh, kava root. Uh, it's it's a root of a plant that grows in kind of the South Pacific area. And uh, the root is really high in glutathione. And when you take the root by itself, the glutathione uh, allows your liver uh, to process it correctly. But when you take a kava extract, uh, it doesn't have that glutathione, and so it can cause some problems. So it's much better to actually take uh, the root in its natural form than it is to take like a pill or a tincture of kava. Um, and there were also some problems too with people using uh, the above ground portions of the plant. The root is what uh, you want to be taking. The above ground portions are actually quite toxic to the liver. And I think that's where a lot of that came from too. Because if you got a kava extract like in the, in the mid nineties, sometimes they would actually be uh, green and that, you know, that would indicate they had actually processed the plant material, which is toxic, the above ground portions of the plant. Um, so it's something that requires some caution and some research, but it, it is, uh, quite effective for stress relief. It's, it's used a lot in addiction recovery circles, um, because it's non-addictive, uh, and it's also non-psychoactive. So that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it aids in muscle <laughs> relaxation and increases your concentration, decreases mm-hmm. insomnia, lowers inhibition. That was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. And uh, it's good for pain. And um, as Jonathan said, it is South Pacific. I've actually sat in kava ceremonies with Polynesians. Mm-hmm. And um, they chew the root and spit it in a bowl and sometimes even pass the bowl around for other people. To do. <laughs> but you don't have to do that. I mean, that's more of like a, you know, kind of a bonding ceremony. I don't know. Um, but yeah, chewing the root. Way to bonding. <laughs> I'm going to share my germs with you today. No, but it is very calming. But, but um, I will say you can chew too much and kind of have almost like a hangover from it like be too relaxed mm-hmm. as a personal experience <laughs> yeah. oh yeah have you guys tried it then what uh... yes i've done it i've i've chewed yep. the root yep i yeah I have i've tried to uh, have a mixture before yeah i i have been for a little while um and i actually order uh a powdered form of the root which is processed um, processed in the sense that it's it's ground down, uh, so you can kind of mix it like a like a you know an instant drink mix sort of. Um, <clears throat> there's another important factor if you are going to check out kava is to make sure that it's what's called noble. Noble um, kava. Yeah, okay. because there's two forms essentially noble and what's called today, uh, which is T U D E I, and basically what that means is uh two day kava is like a very low quality and that can result in extreme uh grogginess and sort of mental fatigue uh, but noble noble kava which is a more high quality um you know sort of strain of the plant um is uh is much cleaner and more effective okay. and has uh, hmm. very little side effects so if you are going to look into kava i would say first don't don't take just like pills or tinctures try to order the root itself um, and uh, and make sure that it's it's uh, tested as being noble and the, a lot of the kava vendors that are online will 
will state that. If they don't state specifically that it's knowable, then I would just pass it by and look for something else. Okay. I think I probably tried the two-day because I, I definitely yeah. had – it was a very heavy feeling, and I was mm-hmm. kind of – I wasn't tired per se, but it was kind of like I didn't want to leave the couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it but can have that effect. And there are actually different um, cultivars or strains that, are, that have different effects. So uh, there are some that are actually quite strong. Um, and, in fact, that's part of what it's uh, used for in, like I was saying, in the addiction recovery circles is people. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm familiar, um, not on a personal level, but online having talked to people who have quit uh, alcohol, um, benzodiazepines, and a lot of, um, hmm. uh, you know, she's uh, not, I'm having the tip of my tongue syndrome here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, Adrenals. The, You're yeah. too stressed. Uh, <laughs> But uh, drugs that uh, that are uh, relaxing, you know, and people will will quit those substances using a, a heavier version of kava uh, to sort of compensate for that in the beginning, and it's beneficial because it's one non psychoactive and it's not addictive. So, That's mm-hmm. very handy to know. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the benzodiazepine thing is actually quite fascinating. People have come off of uh, some really powerful drugs uh, utilizing kava in that process. And you know that nowadays uh, benzodiazepines are uh, ones of the milder ones. Now there is stuff like fentanyl, like patches, like with hundreds yeah. times power of morphine. You know, it's and people are getting hooked on this. So yeah. this is very good to know. So. Um, well, I was going to say too, Gabby. You had mentioned earlier, sort of by accident, L-tyrosine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I think I think that's another important one too. I've, I've had beneficial results from that. Um, it's a precursor to uh, dopamine. Me too. And a lot of people too. They always report back like, "Yeah, L-tyrosine, good." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, as with anything, it's important. Uh, you know, if you're taking these supplements, to uh, source. Uh, you know, the look at the source. Make sure the quality is good. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, if you can contact the company, I mean, if not, at least do your research online and read about, you know, what what they're what they're actually sourcing their materials from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, another one is the ashwagandha. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. in Hindi, it means horses smell. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's, it's actually re- related to the garden tomato, and um, it's it originated in Southeast Asia, and it's found in Africa and North America. And there's over 200 medical studies about its benefits, and some of the benefits, um, you know, especially if you're suffering from stress or adrenal fatigue, is it reduces anxiety and depression without causing sleepiness. So it, and it also uh, calms your nerves, improves your memory and reaction time, and your cognitive ab- abilities. It also uh, boosts the immune system. It's an uh, anti-inflammatory, so it protects against gastric ulcers and arthritic conditions. And it's mm-hmm. one of those adaptogenic substances, so it helps uh, fight against anxiety triggers. Mm-hmm. For me, I have used that before. I have found it very helpful. Just anecdotally, I just wanted to mention that at least one person that I know had had reacted to ashwagandha with pains. You know, yeah. it's from the nightshade family. Mm-hmm. 
So it yeah. could be an in people could have an inflammatory response to it. Yeah, like a personal intolerance. One interesting thing about ashwagandha, though, the, the nightshade thing aside, is that it actually um, does lower cortisol. So people who are um, having issues, uh, you know, when they can't fall asleep, that whole wired and tired type thing, ashwagandha is one of those ones that can be very helpful for that because it actually will lower cortisol. Um, magnolia is actually another one that's really good for that. So I've, I've seen a couple of formulas out there um, that actually will have things like ashwagandha, um, magnolia, phosphatidylserine actually is another one yeah, that, would, uh, I tried that will actually reduce cortisol. Oh, I tried that too because I had high cortisol levels just from clinical experience in the late evening night. It would be very hard for me mm. to fall asleep even though I was so tired, you know. So I tried mm. phosphatidylserine and it was the same time I tried the iodine, the Lugol solution, so I don't know which one was it. But uh, something really mm. helped there between the two of them. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> there are a couple of adaptogens that do, though that you don't want to do before bed. Um, rhodiola is one of them because um, rhodiola actually does have a bit of a stimulating effect. You, you do actually get a bit of a boost from it. So it's not recommended that you do that one before bed. That would be like a morning time one uh, to do. So if you are suffering from, uh, you know, cortisol dysregulation, you might want to be doing rhodiola in the morning and then ashwagandha, uh, phosphatidylserine, magnolia um, before bed. Ginseng is another one that has a stimulating property. I was going to ask you, uh, ginseng, you mentioned uh, American and Korean. Mm -hmm. Which one would you recommend? Well, American ginseng is, is one... Probably for its adaptogenic properties, I would probably go for American ginseng, but some people will go for the Korean because it is, it's more heating. So a lot of times, um, you know, in traditional cultures, just say it's not appropriate for women because it's too, like, it's like red, it's, it's heating. It's like a very stimulating one, um, traditionally thought of as a men's herb. Um, and that's definitely the Korean ginseng I wouldn't do before bed at all. Um, it does have stimulating properties, but you could try it out because it does have adaptogenic properties as well. But uh, the American ginseng is much uh, milder, um, and it's one that I, I would probably go for that one instead. Doug, do you know if the Dong Kwai is a, a good one type of ginseng for women? I've read that before. Instead of taking the, the regular ginseng, but it's the Dong Kwai ginseng. Have you heard of that? Is Dong Kwai ginseng or is it a different herb? I didn't know it was ginseng. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really good. It's often recommended for um, women who are menopausal or perimenopausal um, because it actually does support the adrenals. And during menopause, um, women's uh, hormonal, main hormonal production uh, moves from the ovaries to the adrenals. Um, and a lot of people who have really rough menopausal symptoms, um, it's because their adrenals are shot, basically. So, um, yeah, taking supportive herbs like Dong Kwai can be very helpful. Romania is another really good one. Um, so, yeah, those, those ones uh, are, are quite good for the adrenals themselves. And another one is holy basil or Tulsi. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's an it's a Ayurvedic or Indian herb. In Hindi, they call it the incomparable one. And it's also known as the elixir of life or the queen of herbs. And... Um, <laughs> 
It's actually a very beautiful plant. It's part of the basil family, um, purple and red and very hardy. But it, it also is an adaptogen, so it lowers stress and it normalizes blood sugar and it protects the lungs mm-hmm. and uh, protects from in, inflammation or an infection and respiratory issues uh, against inflammation and arthritis, and it's uh, rich in antioxidants. Mm. And I personally... That's a good bedtime one, actually. Yeah, I drink that every night before bed. I, I really like mm. it. It's it's a it's a not too strong of a of a tea. Um, again, it is a basil in the basil family, so it's got a little bit of that basil taste to it. It's mm-hmm. good. Mm. Well, I think this is a uh, a good time if you guys are down to. Uh, to go to the pet health segment for today. Um, oh, yeah. Zoya mm-hmm. has some info for us on adrenal support for animals. So let's uh, check that out, and we will come back and wrap up after this. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya. And today I would like to talk to you about diseases of the adrenals in dogs. But first, a few words about the dangers of prescribing steroids or glucocorticosteroids. All the adrenal steroids have specific functions. Complicating the picture is the fact that they also perform some overlapping functions. Their activities are all pervasive, affecting a multitude of organs in a complex manner. What's more, dogs may have a wide range of responses to steroids depending on a number of factors. Practitioners can only guess what any individual dog's response will be to any dose of steroids they choose to prescribe. This means that any steroidal drug that is prescribed by a veterinarian with the intention of having one effect may well have other unpredictable and unwanted effects. This is why drugs that are supposedly strictly uh, glucocorticosteroid in action may well cause a dog to experience excessive thirst and urination. Because of the functional overlap of these steroids, there is no way to separate the beneficial effects from the potentially harmful ones. No matter how hard the drug companies try to convince us otherwise. Let's say, to give an example, that you have chosen to treat your dog's skin condition with a prescribed steroidal product, like a glucocorticoid, because it has potent activity as an anti-inflammatory agent. Unfortunately, the same steroid will have an adverse effect on the immune system, slowing your dog's normal immune response and retarding healing. He may also experience increased thirst and urination. In addition, Uh, glucocorticoid hormones, either naturally produced or from prescribed medications, uh, stimulate the adrenal medulla. There are several potential results of this low-level adrenal stimulation. The increased load on the heart may cause heart failure, the chronic excess blood glucose may lead to diabetes mellitus, and the persistent stimulation of the adrenals may lead to adrenal fatigue or ultimately to adrenal failure. So, what are the diseases of the adrenals? There are two major diseases of the adrenal glands. One involves a hypersecretion of the hormones of the gland. It's called Cushing disease or hyperadrenocortitism. 
The other Edison's disease or hypoadrenocortitism is the result of hyposecretion. Cushing disease uh, may be the most frequent endocrinopathy in adult to age dogs. The lesions and clinical signs associated with the disease result primarily from chronic excess of cortisol. Animals can exhibit any number of a uh, wide variety of clinical signs, making proper diagnosis a challenge, even after evaluating a number of appropriate laboratory tests. The disease tends to be insidiously slowly progressive. There are three primarily ways increased cortisol levels can create a cushinoid reaction in dogs. Tumors of the pituitary gland, functional tumors of the adrenals, and long-term administration of corticosteroids. Clinical signs of Cushing, no, man, no matter its primarily cause, may include one of the mo or most of the following. Uh, increased frequency of urination, increased thirst, and increased ravenous hunger. It also weakening and atrophy of the muscles of the extremities and abdomen, resulting in gradual abdominal enlargement lordosis, muscle trembling and weakness. Also weight loss, while most dogs appear fat, they may actually lose weight due to the loss of muscle mass. Uh, fat deposits in the liver resulting in diminished liver function. Skin lesions are common and are often the most recognizable symptoms of the disease. The skin may thin or mineral deposits may occur within the skin, especially along the dorsal midline. The dog may also exhibit hair loss in a non-itchy hormonal pattern. Uh, the hair loss may be concentrated over the body, groin and flanks and spare the head and extremities. In chronic hormonal conditions, the hair thinning may be associated with a thickening and black discoloration of the abdominal skin. There are also behavioral changes, lethargy, sleep-wake cycle disturbances, uh, panting, and decreased interaction with owners. A tentative diagnosis may be inferred from the clinical signs, but positive diagnosis requires laboratory confirmation. Uh, differentiating pituitary dependent from primary adrenal cushing is impossible with, without lab tests. Cushing syndrome, due to the administration of corticosteroids, is easy to diagnose by asking the question, is your dog being treated with corticosteroids? This form of the disease is easy to treat by discontinuing the drug. But almost any hormonal condition may produce skin lesions similar to the Cushinoid dog, and increased thirst and urination may be due to a variety of diseases, such as diabetes mellitus, diabetes insipidus, or renal failure. Also, normally aging animals may have many of the same symptoms as Cushing. After other differential diagnoses have been ruled out, there are several tests available to help ascertain the cause of the syndrome, pituitary-related or adrenal. Your vet may need to run a series of tests to help understand the causal pathway of the disease. The conventional medical treatment for Cushing's is aimed uh, at attempting to shut down the excess production of hormones. There are several drugs that are specific for destroying the functional capacity of the particular cells uh, from the area of the pituitary or the zone of the adrenal that is affected. In some cases, surgery may be used to remove the affected cells. In all cases, 
the drugs will be effective only against certain cell lines. Uh, furthermore, all drugs uh, that have been used to date have a wicked list of adverse side effects. Surgery is also a difficult option. Uh, cutting into a pituitary that lies on the base of the brain is not an operation for the novice. And tumors of the adrenal tend to be microscopic in size and scattered throughout the gland. Now, about Edison's disease uh, or hypoadrenocorticism. Uh, it's uncommon in young to middle-aged dogs. Unlike Cushing's, which is a more insidious and chronic disease, Edison's can have rapid and fatal consequences. Many of the ongoing symptoms of Edison's disease are not specific. They are more into the category of slowly progressive loss of body condition, a failure to respond to stress, and recurrent episodes of digestive problems. The dog may lose weight, uh, often an excessive amount of weight. Uh, urinate more frequently, refuse to eat, and suffer bouts of vomiting and uh, diarrhea. As the disease progresses, uh, a lack of uh, aldosterone, the principal mineral corticosteroid, uh, results in marked changes in blood serum levels of potassium, sodium, and chloride. These alterations in electrolytes may lead to an excess of serum potassium, which then causes a decrease in the dog's uh, heart rate. And this in turn uh, predisposes to weakness in circulatory collapse after even light exercise. The diminished circulation may be severe enough to trigger renal failure. The condition may prog uh, progress to complete failure and the dog may collapse without treatment these dogs may die. Diagnosis is often presumed from the dog's history and clinical signs and laboratory results may be used to confirm the condition. Changes may be seen in the blood picture, uh, ACG and sodium potassium ratio. An adrenal crisis is an acute medical emergency. The dog will need fluids, emergency doses of glucose and perhaps uh, glucocorticoids and supportive immediate therapy. Long-term therapy will likely be indicated. You need to consult with your holistic vet uh, for alternatives to the corticoid drugs that will likely be recommended by a conventional vet. There are other adrenal diseases, uh, like for example of the inner zone of the cortex, but they are relatively rare and they are generally associated with neoplasia or tumors and as a rule, they create an excess secretion of hormones associated with the specific cells involved with the tumor. Depending on which steroid is secreted in excess, the dog's sex and his or her age at one set, the affected animal may exhibit um, development of masculine traits in the feminine or um, feminization. Because the primary hormones secreted by the adrenal medulla are related to stress, its primarily disease is usually related to a chronic overstimulation, which in turn might create adrenal fatigue and uh, lead to other conditions such as diabetes mellitus or heart failure. One type of tumor in the medulla, uh, while it is uncommon, has been occasionally reported. Because the tumor increased the secretion of hormones, its symptoms include increased heart rate, edema, and enlarged heart. 
So what are the alternative therapies for conditions of the adrenals? It should be obvious by now that adrenals are an integral part of a complex of interacting organ system, all with independent but overlapping functions. Put all of this together and you've got a real challenge for trying to select the best therapeutic regime. On the other hand, since they typically work with entire body systems, alternative medicines may offer the best approach to overall and long-term healing. Note that an Edisonian crisis is a medical emergency and requires immediate veterinary attention. A general approach to treatment for either Cushing or adrenal fatigue might include the following. You need to discontinue chronic use of glucocorticoids, if at all possible. The number one cause of Cushing syndrome in dogs is the prolonged use of corticosteroids. Find a good holistic vet to help you slowly wean your dog from steroidal drugs. Another factor is proper nutrition. Use a fresh, healthy, balanced diet uh, that will assure proper organ system functioning. Natural fresh food uh, won't contain toxins that may compromise the functions of organs. Also minimize life stressors. Important components uh, include proper exercise, correct weight for the breed, socialized behavior to live at ease with humans and other animals, and well-defined place in the hierarchy of the family's relationship. Most of all, let your dog be a dog. Minimize exposure to, uh, exposure to toxins. Plastics, pesticides, and herbicides uh, have been shown to affect sex hormones. Preservatives and other artificial additives in food and vaccines may adversely affect hormonal, uh, hormonal output. When indicated, use whole body therapies. Acupuncture and homeopathy are examples of techniques that when used properly offer balance to the whole body. Also, uh, what is effective is uh, licorice uh, root, it's specific for the adrenal glands, especially for fortifying them after Edison's or adrenal fatigue. Since the herbs activity actually helps balance the adrenals, as well as uh, most other organ systems. It is often recommended for any condition that might stress those glands. Check with a qualified herbalist for dosages and best uses of the herb. And finally, avoid the temptation, temptation to chase symptoms. Conventional medicine is notorious for take a shot and run treatments that address current symptoms and do little for the long-term health of the individual. With diseases of the uh, of an organ system as complex as the adrenals, this approach may be satisfying for the short term, but may never result in a complete resolution of the disease. Have your holistic vet come up with a long-range plan of, of action that both of you are comfortable with and follow the plan until you see some results. Well, this is it for this segment. Thank you for listening and have a nice weekend. All right, thank you, Zoya. That was fascinating. Really good information. Yes. Um, let us uh, go to our recipe for today. And uh, Erica, you had one for us, right? Uh, summer cucumber salad. Yes. Am I correct? So uh, now the uh, weather's warming up. Hopefully, for most of you. <laughs> Maybe you're going to plant a garden and grow some cucumbers. Um, 
very easy recipe. I don't tend to cook with measurements, so just roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Basically, just start with cucumbers. And um, what I found works best is, especially if you're buying store-bought cucumbers, is you want to peel them because a lot of times there's a very waxy cover on the cucumber and it tends to not taste very good. So I peel the cucumber, um, cut them in half, take a spoon or a uh, peeler and scoop out the seeds, um, put them aside. You don't need to use them. Um, This way your cucumber salad doesn't turn into water by the end of the day because cucumbers have a lot of water Mm. in them. And then... um, Basically, what you can use is lemon juice, so a couple of tablespoons, depending on how acidic you like it, or lemony, some apple cider vinegar, a couple of tablespoons, Um, garlic, if you can tolerate it, raw garlic um, in a garlic press or finely crushed, Um, onions, you can use either white onions or green onions are also good and you can use the entire green onion meaning the top as well as the bottom and then um, salt and pepper and um, three very nourishing cooking herbs one is cumin the other is coriander and then I'm having that senior moment on the third one I'll come back to it um, I think, <laughs> um, salt and pepper, and then um, also fresh uh, cilantro. And one thing that Ooh. is really good, if you can add it, is to get the actual cilantro root. So if you're growing cilantro, that won't be a problem. Mm. I've noticed now a lot of uh, stores cut the root off because people don't eat it, but in... Um, like Thai culture, they make dishes, uh, broths with the root. And so the root is really excellent in the cucumber salad. If you just make sure and um, clean it really well, especially if you're going to marinate the salad for like a couple hours, you can put the root in there and then take it out before you serve it. You can also add a little bit of grapeseed oil or olive oil um, to kind of uh, make a little bit more of a moist texture. And um, I still never thought of the third herb in there. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, what's great about this salad is that you can, you know, add different spices depending on how you like it. I know nightshades are kind of off the menu, but if you wanted to make it a little bit spicy, you could add cayenne or even like a garam masala. So, yes, and um, when you take the seeds out of the cucumber, this salad will last in the refrigerator for up to a week as long as you make sure the seeds aren't in there so it doesn't turn watery or soupy. It also makes a good garnish, so if you're making a meat dish or a fish dish, you can add it on top as a little Mm. garnish. Nice. I make it it all the time. I'm glad you said that about the... uh, (laughs) I'm glad you said that about the cilantro, actually, Erica, because uh, I've noticed that um, a lot of uh, people, when they're using something like cilantro, they'll pick all the leaves off and only use the leaves. Mm-hmm. But I've found that the most flavor is in the stem. 
Yes. Like I always like I'll just chop it really, really, really fine. And uh, yeah, the stem that that like whenever I'm cooking with uh, fresh cilantro, I always use the stem. The root I've never used before, but the stem for sure. Yeah, and you you know you can make a broth with the root too. It's a base of a lot of Thai curry dishes. I learned this from a Thai woman. Mm. So you boil the roots to make a broth, and then you make your curry dish with that or whatnot. And Harrison asked if it's dill. It's not dill. It's an actual herb, <laughs> but I am so sorry. It's going to drive me crazy for the rest of the day. <laughs> but yes, be uh, liberate, liberal with your use of spices as well, because you really want to, cucumbers tend to not have a lot of taste. They taste kind of watery and so the more herbs you add so that's why i never follow a recipe because whenever it says one tablespoon of this i add like four or five so just, <laughs> just start um start with like three tablespoons of cumin coriander and then um add to taste mm-hmm. well that sounds delicious sounds delicious <laughs> and nutritious <laughs> <laughs> all right well th- um that's our time so uh thanks everybody for tuning in thanks to our chat participants for uh taking part in the chat um <clears throat> be sure to uh to tune in uh to the next uh, podcast on sunday at noon eastern u.s time and now is it i know that the truth perspective and behind the headlines are merging is there a title for the merged show Behind the truth perspective. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there is a new title. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Truth um, headlines. Yeah. (laughs) Be sure to check radio.sot.net on Sunday uh, for that show. Um, And we will be back uh, next Friday at the same time. So thanks again, everybody. And have a great weekend. Thank you. Oh, I remember. It's it's curry powder. (laughs) (laughs) So report back if you make cucumber salad. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.